Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography and technology. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. Good morning, Jeff. Have you been taking any pictures lately? Have I been taking any pictures? I have actually been taking a few pictures. Really? I know this is going to sound weird, and maybe it shouldn't sound weird, but I've actually been getting out more, which is kind of a crazy idea. Oh, my God. Fortunately, I live in Seattle, and right now we are sort of ahead of the nation when it comes to being vaccinated and things are opening up. But more importantly, almost everybody that I know, all my friends are vaccinated. So we went camping with a bunch of people over the weekend and I took some pictures. I had some people over for my birthday a few weeks ago. Um, We just did outdoors coffee and pastries, but Everybody was vaccinated, so we were just hanging out, and I took some pictures there. I haven't really done any super intentional photography. Like, I haven't gone out and done a photo shoot. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like I'm sort of using the camera more normally than I have in, I don't know, months maybe. And you? That's good. And you, you got a really good dog photo that I saw on Instagram the other day. Oh, yes. You don't don't often take dog and cat photos. And that was a good photo of a dog. We'll put a link in the show notes or put the photo in the show notes because that was really a nice photo. Yeah, I'm I'm allergic to both dogs and cats. And so I have to take pictures of other people's dogs and cats. That's a shame. You're missing out on one of the great joys of life that's having cats in your house. I know. I know. I actually used to have dogs and cats in my house. And then I went to college and I realized I could breathe. So Ah, you you hadn't noticed you were allergic. I lived in southern Idaho. I just figured it was hay fever and dust and, you know, agricultural area. Uh, But no, it was actually dander. Dander. Okay. Well, we want to talk about some photography stuff. We decided we're going to do an episode about filters. Filters are cool. I think most people don't realize how cool filters are. Um, I first discovered filters way back in the film era when it was pretty much obligatory to use a UV filter because it actually blocked out UV rays. And this was a problem with film. Now, this isn't a problem with digital. And there are two schools of thought. The people who say you should never put a UV filter on your lens. It's a waste. It degrades the image quality. And then those who are right, who say putting a UV (laughs) filter on your lens can save you hundreds of dollars in repairs when you stupidly bang your lens into something and scratch it. Okay, so we're going directly there, aren't we? <laughs> well, this is we got to start with the polemic and then work our way to the more interesting stuff. So, I'm going to put a picture in the show notes of a filter uh that was connected to a lens of mine that fell out of my car onto the ground and the filter broke and uh the lens was saved. So, yay, filters. However, I fall into that that first camp, although maybe not as Uh, dramatic or extreme, as you made it sound. Um, I do not put a UV filter (laughs) on my lenses, even though this has happened to me before. And there are a few reasons for that. One, so UV filters will not give you any sort of UV protection with your digital camera unless you're, you know, high, high up in the mountains where ultraviolet light really is an issue. But the other part is... You're adding a layer between your 
really nice, expensive lens in whatever you're shooting. And I know there are definitely some uh, higher quality UV lenses, but most people go and they buy the, I don't know, $15, $20 UV Tiffin lenses that basically just you, you screw on the end for protection. And that makes some sense, but I don't like the idea of it. You have this, you know, $300, $600, $1,200 lens. At the end of this this nice lens, you have a probably crappy piece of glass that could be distorting your image or fogging it up or – I mean, realistically, it probably doesn't make very much sense. I think conceptually, I just don't like that idea of – here I am with this wonderful, expensive glass and wait, wait, before I take a picture of this beautiful scene in front of me, I got to slap something in between it. OK, we're going to talk about other filters as well. But the thing is, if you don't like a UV filter, then you shouldn't like any other filters because it's a piece of glass. No, 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 no. Okay. I see where you're going with this. All right, all right, all right, right. You can't say that all filters are bad because they're a piece of glass. The, the thing is... I hate to use this example, but a UV filter on a lens is kind of like a lens condom. It kind of protects from unexpected surprises. And frankly, if you got if you got auto ISO and you're putting your ISO at like 1200, do you really think the UV filter is going to make more of a difference than the little bit of noise you get from the ISO? Uh, okay, we could do a whole podcast not. about the pros and cons of UV filters. Um, I think we'd probably <laughs> better talk about other than just accept that I'm right. And 50% of people agree and 50% don't. Um, I, I understand the logic. I do. It, that, you know, it's another piece of glass. But on the other hand, um, what I've found is I'll often touch the front of my lens with my fingers. It's easier to wipe smears off a filter than a lens because the lens coating is very different. Uh, yes, yes. I, I would say stop touching your lens, first no, no, of all. Accidentally, <laughs> accidentally, obviously. See, I don't put lens caps on unless oh. my lens are in a camera bag. Okay, well, that's interesting. Um, because I have UV so, filters. Oh, okay. Well, that makes it all better. So now you have something that's just going to pick up scratches and dirt, and then you're going to try to shoot through that. Thank you for making my point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about other filters. I would like first, before we talked about the filters that we use, just to briefly mention um, about using color filters. So my first experience with film was a UV filter. But then after that, it was using color filters to shoot black and white film. Now, we shoot Fujifilm cameras and the Acros film simulation has four different flavors, the straight Acros and then the Acros with a red filter, with a yellow filter, with a green filter. Um, what these filters do is they block out the colors and highlight the complementary colors. So, for example, if you're shooting black and white film, a red filter makes the sky really dark. And you can see this with the Acros red filter. If you take a picture in Acros with a raw file and then in the camera you convert it with the different filters, you'll see what it does. And I found this fascinating back in the day to understand that that Tri-X pan that I was using didn't just look like this. You could change it. And of course, you can do this somewhat in post-production. Can you, in Lightroom, for example, apply like the equivalent of a red or orange or green filter? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, most applications, uh, even photos on the Mac, not on on the iOS, but there's basically a way to you know uh, adjust those color channels. And so, well, but you on photos on the Mac, you've got a slider that just cycles through the different color channels. Unlike what, what I'm asking is on Lightroom, is there like show me what this looks like with a red filter? Is what I mean. Yes. There are presets that will do that, but you can also just change those color filters in your black and white image to get that variability. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, sort of, sort of. Because what's interesting in black and white, and if you're using a monochrome camera like the Leica, is you can use these filters and you can change them depending on what you're shooting and which colors you want to highlight. Um, I'll put a page in the show notes from Hoya, which is showing uh, what happens to black and white with different filters. So they've got a number of color images and they show, you know, here's with a yellow green, here's with a red, here's with a yellow, et cetera. And I think... Uh, most people aren't going to think about doing this. And like, would you use a color filter when you're shooting digital anyway? Probably not. But I think it's an interesting concept to understand what color filters are doing when you're shooting black and white. Well, this goes back to our ideas that we've talked about of sort of pre-visualizing as you're shooting so that, yes, you can see what's in front of you, but you also have this mental image of what is this going to look like in black and white if you're not shooting with a black and white preset? Or, you know, how can I edit this later? You may have a situation where you know that you want something in black and white and you know that by cutting some of the red, that's going to make that sky pop a little bit more. And so understanding how these work is always, always, always important, even if it's just in the back of your head so it becomes natural and you get a better idea of what you can get. So the, the next filter to look at is the polarizing filter. And I would argue that this is probably the most important filter to have. It can replace the UV filter to protect your lens. Um, we have today what's called a circular polarizing filter or CPL. And it's got two bits that are together. They're kind of, what would you say? Well, one of, they turn. So you screw mm -hmm. one on the lens and the outside one turns. The reason for this is depending on the angle of the sun to your lens, you need to turn the filter to get the maximum effect. Um, you'll see this most in blue sky at certain times of day at certain angles. And if you're looking to take a picture with blue sky and you want to really get that rich cyan blue, you turn the filter until you find it. But if you don't want it too blue, you turn it a little bit the other way. In other words, you have gradations in this sort of filter. Yeah, yeah, because the, this filter is is blocking the angle of the sun hitting the, the glass. And this is also really good if you're shooting water because you the can— The reflections in the water, yes. Yeah, it gets rid of a lot of the reflections. And I remember uh, fly fishing with my grandmother, and she would wear polarized glasses— because she could see the fish better. Yep. And it's it's the same concept of being able to not just control what light comes in, but you're you're affecting the angle of the light. And you know, yes, in in this case this is a, you know, quote unquote clear filter that is very important and um I would but use two layers of glass, so don't buy a cheap one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That's actually a really good point. Um, just 
in in general for all these filters because you can absolutely buy cheap ones. I feel like I'm coming across as more extreme than I mean to, but I guess that's just the way podcasting is. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we, we have to each carve out our own sort of persona in this sort of filter debate. So I have had a set of uh, fairly inexpensive Tiffin filters that gave me I don't even think they're listed in in terms of stops. There's like a, a 1.2, 0.9, and a 0.6. So I guess that's be uh, one and a third stop, two third stop, and one third stop. These were just little circular filters that fit the size of most of my lenses. So I think it was 67 millimeters. And I want to say it was probably less than $100 for this set. And... I've honestly used them for years, and they've been fine. So recently, I moved up to a better set of filters from a company called Breakthrough Photography. And this is one of those areas where are you going to spend a little bit of money and get adequate results? Or are you going to spend more money and get better results? Now, I should say I have a set of filters here I've not gone out and shot with them yet. Well, what's important is to have the gear, not to use it. Oh, right, right. I, I keep forgetting <laughs> about that. <laughs> um, I actually got these from a friend. I haven't had a chance to go use them. But these are, are basically the ones that I was going to buy for my next uh, big trip. And I think this is a case where spending more money does help just because you have – better quality of glass. You have more evenness in the distribution. My little Tiffin ones, like they're fine, but I invariably have to do a little bit of cleanup, you know, uh, fixing little spots in the skies. They're, they're fine. And if you are on a budget and you really want to have something that's going to reduce the amount of light or uh, cut the angle of the light, like absolutely start with that. But you can also do better, which I guess is kind of what we're talking about here. Okay. It's worth pointing out that a polarizing filter is also wonderful for black and white. It's my favorite filter because, again, it does darken the sky. Um, it does give more contrast in the image. Uh, I would say it's really the best filter to have because especially if you're on a hot, humid day and it's hazy, it's going to cut through a lot of that. Uh, it's going to bring out the greens when you're doing... Um, landscapes, the greens and the blues, as you say, it cuts out the reflections. Um, it's great for flowers. Um, here's a pro tip, though. Since if you want to get good filters and they are expensive, how much were the ones you have, did you say? I want to say they might be $125 each. It depends on the size, but... Uh... Well, so here's the thing. Get a bunch of step-up rings. Get filters yeah. larger, the, the larger than your largest lens or the size of your largest lens and get step-up or step-down rings so you can put them on any lens. Now, they kind of look comical if you have to put like six rings and then a filter. <laughs> um, but... And and also, I kind of wonder about the distance of the filter from the lens, if that's a problem, particularly mm -hmm. with a polarizing filter. But it's a lot better than buying individual filters. Now, if there is a lens you use a lot, you, you're best getting filters for that lens or yeah. something where you've only got to have one or two step-up rings. But this is a way to get more expensive filters and to to not really think too much about the cost if you got it across all your lenses. Yeah. There's also another option. 
there are filters you can get where you basically get a mounting system. And then instead of the filters themselves being circular, you have these square sheets of glass that slide in. And some of those can be just uh, neutral density filters. So uh, I didn't really introduce that properly. The filters that I was just talking about are neutral density filters that just cut light. They'll you know, make things darker. And th there are, are these glass filters that you can put in that are just sheets of glass. And some of them, maybe you'll have the top half of it is darker and then there's a gradation to clear in the bottom, which some people use to just accentuate the sky. Now, there have been times when I've looked at those, I've seen people shooting with them and thought, like, that looks really professional. That looks like a someone who really knows what they're doing. And I'm sure that they do. But you can do a lot of that sort of gradation stuff in software now. So you can, yeah. It so, seems so like overkill to me. I would much rather have this little set of, like, I have four uh, 67 millimeter filters that I can just screw onto my lens. And I don't have all this apparatus behind it. Well, the problem with those square filters, they drop into a, a, a holder, but they're not held firmly. So they're meant to be used on a tripod. You can't be shooting street photography from the hip with a filter like that. Totally. Now, obviously, you don't really want to use neutral densities for street photography, though you might want to because neutral densities um, reduce the amount of light that goes into your lens. So you need a longer exposure. And maybe you want on a bright, sunny day to get that motion of a long exposure on a street, but it's not the most common. Um, I would say that those filter systems with the glass that slides in, it's great for landscape photographers who use tripods. But for most people, they're not really that practical. Absolutely. Now, worth mentioning that a circular polarizing filter definitely cuts down the light by a few stops as well. So a, a lot of the filters that you'll be using will limit your light. So you, you're going to need sunny situations. You're going to need faster ISO or whatever. So do you put a circular polarizer on top of your UV filter when you go Ew, shoot? Ethan. <laughs> Who would do that? <laughs> well. No, of course not. <laughs> okay, okay. Of course not. Come on. Well, because with ND filters, actually, it sounds like it's a bad thing to do, but it is something that is legitimate, is if you have a situation where something is super bright, a common example that I bring up a lot is if you're shooting a waterfall or you're shooting water, um, if it's in the middle of the day, you're going to need to block a lot of that light in order to have a longer exposure, get that silky look. That's one of the easy reasons for using an ND filter. Well, you know, you may only be able to shoot something at two o'clock in the afternoon on a sunny day. And so it's perfectly acceptable to stack your ND filters and so you may have two or three to cut down the light. Now, you have to do that knowing that there's going to be more of a of a natural vignette that's caused by stacking those. And you may not get the same amount of sharpness. So it's kind of a dance as to what you're going to get. But it is perfectly acceptable to do that. And, and you, when you do that, you might want to shoot a little bit wider so you can crop in later and, and get rid of some of that effect. It sounds heathenistic to say, oh, well, I'm just going to stack all my filters on top. But in this case, it's perfectly acceptable. 
if you were going to put your UV filter on top of your CPL filter and then put an ND filter on top of that and then put a piece of red plastic that you found <laughs> on the ground, <laughs> maybe that's not the way to go. Okay. The next filter I want to talk about is the Hoya... R72 infrared filter, R72 because it filters out light with a wavelength below 720 nanometers and essentially records only infrared light. Now, you can get infrared cameras where the sensor has actually been changed to only record infrared, but why bother when you can use a filter? That's actually a really good question. Can you get the same effect with a filter than with a camera that's been converted this way? You can, but the R72 filter... Um, reduces the light by about 10 stops. Ah, so okay. if you have a an actual infrared camera, you can shoot at normal speeds, handheld, etc. With an infrared filter, you can't really do that. We're going to put a photo that I took in the show notes. Um, I shot this at about 170th of a second f1.4 handheld, which was pretty much the best I could do without raising the ISO too much. I've, I've had this filter since last year. I've not done much. And in the past two weeks, I haven't had access to a car, so I haven't been able to go anywhere. I just took a random photo in my garden. Um, I find it really interesting because uh, the reason I'm interested in infrared is to make black and white photos. Um, so we'll put the original JPEG and the black and white JPEG that I edited. Um, I don't really, I haven't really explored taking the infrared and making color photos yet. Okay. Now, I have to admit, I've never shot anything infrared. What's the appeal? What would I get without looking at this photo? It's the sort of the otherworldly look of the green that becomes white. That, to me, is the most interesting thing. Okay. Um, so green is the complementary color to red, right? And so when you convert into black and white... All of the green is bright and it looks white instead of looking darker because of the red. Now, I'm going to put a link um, to the Hoya page talking about this filter in the show notes, and you'll see what, what it does with color. And it can be really interesting. It can look really strange, but it can be really interesting. Um, I, as I said, I haven't really played around with color yet. I'd have to do it with an app other than Apple Photos where I do most of my editing. And I admit that I didn't spend enough time doing all this. But they talk about false color. They talk about the kind of adjustments you can make in white balance. It's it's quite intriguing. Um, again, I like it for the black and white. I don't really want to do color. But you can get a really strange... There's a ghostly effect. There's a, a sort of a feeling of aura when you do this. So this is definitely a technique that you want to have more creative effects versus, say, with a lot of these other filters, you're either compensating for uh, – too much light or you're trying well, you're to cut down reflections or, highlights. Yeah, or you're highlighting the sky, things like that. Here, this is totally creative. Okay. I mean, I've seen a lot of infrared examples of, say, flowers and landscapes. Uh, it doesn't seem to be very complimentary toward pictures of people unless you're no, really no. going for, for that sort of a look. But uh, I do know people who have you know had an old – maybe old DSLR body that they weren't using and it didn't make sense to try to sell it or give it away. And they had that that conversion done so that the the sensor would be shooting infrared. And they just kind of get a, a wild hair every once in a while and say, I'm going to make some infrared shots of the 
garden or, you know, on my next trip, I'm going to get like a stormy sky in infrared and just see what happens. Yeah. So it, it's that, interesting to, to play around with. Um, I think it takes a lot of mastery, which I haven't developed yet, obviously. This this mm. is really ju just a random photo in the garden of a magnolia tree, and you can see a tree in the background. You can see that the uh, brick wall um, is kind of altered because it's red, but the, the light bits are where it was mostly red. But since the bricks are 200 years old, there's a lot of different shades. I, I think, I don't know what it would look like for people, but I, I think it's an effect that could be fun to try out as a way of doing something a little bit different. Yeah. Given the cost of the filter, I think it cost me 35 pounds, so maybe 50 bucks at the most. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's more interesting to have the filter and try that and see what happens. Now, you will find that it's pretty hard to see what you're shooting. Um, so you've got to set this on a tripod mostly because 10 stops is a lot. Yeah. So you need to be in a situation with a lot of light or a long exposure um, if there's less light and a tripod. But it's fun. And I hope to do a little bit more when I can get out and about um, to get some more interesting shots. You want to kind of get... You want to get green, you want to get plants and trees and all that, and you want to get sky and you want to get contrasts of, you know, fields. Like we've got um, wheat fields next to my house. The farmers have planted wheat in one of the fields this year and it's about two feet high and it's starting. And that's the kind of thing. I'll take my tripod maybe at twilight where I can do like a 30 second shot and see how that looks. Nice. There's one more thing I wanted to bring up that I almost forgot about. In talking about ND filters, the ones I have here are just a, a specific amount for each filter. But you can also get a variable ND filter. And that has kind of the same idea as the circular polarizer in that it mounts to your camera and then you turn the outside of it to change the effect. As you turn it, you get more or less of the darkness being applied. Now, there are several out there. I've seen popular YouTube photographers review some of these and, you know, come away with like, oh, this is the greatest thing because you just pay for one filter and get almost the same effects as having a set of three or four filters. And for the convenience of it, that's really appealing. Uh, I haven't used any of these and I've seen like sometimes you'll get some fringing or some vignetting but it's it's unevenly distributed. It's not like having a vignette around all corners. Sometimes you can have just the upper right area will be a bit darker. So definitely something to check out. But I have to say I'm a little wary, unless it's in a situation where you're not trying to set up a tripod. You just need something that's going to break down the light and give you a little more flexibility, maybe if you're shooting handheld. So I'm curious for our listeners, uh, what sort of filters have you used? I would be really curious to see if anybody has dabbled with infrared and uh, put some photos in our Facebook group so that we can see what you've been doing with it. Because obviously, uh, you know, Kirk's played with, with infrared a little bit. I haven't at all. And it just seems like a really intriguing, creative alternative to just going out and shooting what you see. I just want to mention just in passing that um, the Fuji Films X100 series comes with a built-in neutral density filter that you can turn on or turn off. Now, I think this is just a way of lowering the gain 
of the sensor, but I think the X100V is a three-stop filter. I think the X100F had a two-stop filter. And this is kind of interesting because you get a different kind of contrast. Again, it's going to affect your um, shutter speed and, and ISO and all that, but you get a different kind of contrast. If you are in a bright, sunny area and it's just too much light, this is a good way to stop it down. But I don't yeah. think many other cameras do that. I think there are a handful that do. It's more common on higher quality video cameras because with video, you're using a filter to control your exposure because you don't want to use the shutter speed to do it because things can get looking jerky and, and what have you. Um, we had a really good episode talking to Jordan Drake of DP Review talking all about video. And if you're shooting video, that would be a really good way to use your filters to do exposure. And some video cameras have a built-in ND filter. And I don't know if it's just a a software implementation or if there's actually like a filter that comes down in the camera itself. Probably not, but uh, that's something that's found more often in your higher-end video cameras. Okay, should we go to snapshots? I think we should go to snapshots. Okay, what have you got? Well, today I want to point to a website. If you remember, in episode 23 and episode 69, we talked to Rick LePage, a friend of ours, who has done all sorts of photography stuff. He's written, he's edited, he's a wonderful photographer, and he also has done a lot of printing. We talked to him specifically about printing. We'll have links in the show notes. And one of the things that he used to do was run a site called Printerville. And it was all about photo printing and comparing the newest printers and inks and all of that. Well, the market kind of stagnated. And so his site was basically untouched for 10 years. Well, Rick has restarted Printerville, I think because now there's a little more interest in motion in the industry. And so at printerville.net, he has started writing about new printers and will continue the site as it was. Kirk, do you have um, maybe a book? I do. I have a new book by Lucinda Devlin. It's called Lake Pictures. Now, I stumbled on this and I don't even know where I found out about this. It's these pictures of Lake Huron. Um, I believe that's one of the Great Lakes. I think so. The big lakes or whatever you call them. And they're all photos in a square format. This is a large format book. It's like about LP size. And they're all photos in square formats where each one is the lake and the horizon um, perfectly bisected in the middle of the photograph. Huh. And these are taken of the lake at many different times uh, in many different types of light. Uh, some of them are two-page spreads that may be taken a few minutes apart or months apart. And... There's an oddly relaxing quality to the photos in this book of looking through these and seeing something that nature does. And if you're there to record it, you can see how this changes over time. Now, you don't see this when you go to a lake or when you go to the beach. You don't see the changes. But someone who's been doing this for years and takes picture after picture and then compiles them like this, makes you see something and probably one of the most interesting, most colorful things we can see in nature is sunrise and sunset over the horizon of a lake or or the ocean. Mm -hmm. And this is just a lovely book. It's just, 
I was looking through this the other night when I got it, and then I looked through it again and again, and it's just flipping the pages. It's just relaxing. So if you want a really interesting book of relaxing color photos, it's called Lake Pictures by Lucinda Devlin. Very good printing. It's printed by Steidl, German company, whose books are always very, very well printed. I have to say, my first thought when you showed that to me is, why would you take an expansive horizon and limit it to just the square aspect ratio? But, hey, look, that's a creative choice, and I think it works. But as you do it over time and photo after photo and you're comparing, you're, you're tracking the differences, that's what's really fascinating. If you, just, if you just did one, if you remember when we talked to Quentin Lake, he had a couple of photos like that. Uh, he was uh, influenced by Hiroshi Sujimoto, mm-hmm. a Japanese photographer who's made hundreds if not thousands of black and white photos of the horizon like this, of the sea and the sky. But here the color really adds so much to it because sometimes they look monochromatic and sometimes you've got a sunrise or a sunset and reflections and bands of color, um, clouds. It's a fascinating book. I I like the idea of someone taking the time to reproduce similar photos. I'm not sure that they're all taken at exactly the same location on the lake, Mm -hmm. but I know that she lives near there and goes more or less the same spot. I like the idea of someone taking photos of the same thing over and over to be able to see the differences in time. Yeah. I like the idea of just relentlessly pursuing this idea, this vision, rather than, okay, I've got this shot. Now I'm going to go find something else. Okay. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in this episode at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast. That's photoactivecast in one word. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review in iTunes or in your podcast app.